Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. There are a multitude of useful evangelistic methods at the disposal of the foreign missionary. Some are perhaps more effective in certain places than others. Some are better adapted to certain missionaries and certain foreign workers than others. There are diversities of operations and differences of administration. But when we go back to the practice of Christ and the apostles, we find the bold, straightforward public proclamation of the gospel message in whatever venue might have been available at the time. While there are some places where public preaching is either outlawed or impractical, there are many other places where it is still a viable method for getting the good news of Jesus Christ to the multitudes, and it still works if we will just try it. My guest today is Brother Dana Vogelpohl. Brother Vogelpohl has served in the country of Scotland for the past 10 years or so, and for the length of that time, he's taken up this simple apostolic method of public preaching in the high streets of Glasgow. In our conversation today, Brother Dana tells us about his call to foreign missions, and I ask him about a particular trial that his family endured while on deputation, but most of our conversation centers around his mission efforts in post-Christian Scotland with special emphasis on street preaching. I hope you enjoy the interview today. With that introduction, here's my conversation with Brother Dana Vogelpohl on public ministry in Scotland. Brother Vogelpohl, you've been on the field of Scotland for just under 10 years now, and uh, I've got some good memories of, of you being at our very first missions conference when I was at Ridge Road back in 2009. Um, but while I'm familiar with the with the work there and uh, have, have been sort of uh, involved in that through support for, for many years, perhaps you could refresh my memory, brother. When did you receive the Lord and how did God put the country of Scotland on your heart in terms of missions labor? Yeah, hello, brother. Uh, those were great memories indeed. And uh, I received the Lord um, in 1995 at uh, a uh, gospel preaching church that had an altar call. I responded to the altar call. First time I heard and understood that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose again, and I put my faith in him alone. And that, that was that was the day I could point to where I got saved. But years went by. I didn't really grow much until I uh, became acquainted with the King James Bible issue and started to actually study the Bible and King James Bible, and that made a big difference. Um, in 2004, the Lord uh, started to put on my heart the uh, country of Scotland uh, using different uh, scriptures in the Bible, like Deuteronomy 32. It was a, the Song of Moses. It's all about the nation of Israel. But uh, what what was said in that chapter reminded me of the condition of Scotland and the history of Scotland and things like that would get my attention drawn to Scotland to where I started to pray about it. And over the years, God would answer those prayers with more scripture. And another scripture was, for example, they are Scottish children. It's like one letter off saying Scottish and uh, that's in the old Testament somewhere. But there, there was a lot of scriptures like that that would keep bringing my thoughts back to Scotland and I'd keep praying about it in 2008, 
I was at a missions conference at our home church and the preacher preached on Matthew 28 and it was quite a challenge uh, to uh, consider all that after all these years of praying about Scotland and I, I wanted to get it settled. I, I had to get it settled, the, the question settled because the years were going by and and all that. So I, I was praying and it bothered me until the next day I was praying about God, do you want me to go to Scotland or stay? I don't want to think about Scotland anymore. Should I go or stay? And that was my, <laughs> that was what I was praying. And then I opened up in my Bible reading, and that day it was Matthew twenty-eight. <laughs> wow! And wow. of course, there's a uh, "Go ye therefore and teach all nations," including Scotland, is, is in that chapter. But I, what I hadn't realized before was God said "Go" two times before that in Matthew twenty-eight, and and all through the chapter, in fact, it says they they were going. It says they went they, and uh, talking about the disciples. And so uh, it, that was enough for me to confirm the call, so to speak, um, that God definitely wanted me to go to Scotland. That was 2008. Amen. Well, you got a, a pretty quick sp- uh, start once once you got the, the Lord's green light uh, because you were with yeah. us by the following year. Now I really want to get to the main the main topic that I want to to get to in the conversation is public ministry there in Scotland because that has been the staple outreach and I'm I'm fascinated by it not only uh, of course the the um, how that has worked in relation to the spiritual climate there but also some of the surprising fruit that's been born from just a faithful public proclamation of the gospel but before getting to that uh, um you deputation is uh, you know it is what it is it's a, it's a it's a challenge some look at it as a yep. as a necessary evil uh, i think that many of us uh, experience spiritual growth uh, in the course of of uh, deputation Definitely. but um it's you 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 experience something on deputation that most men uh, don't experience and and hope never to experience your your family uh, had a uh, and a life-threatening accident that took yeah. place in the course of your trial uh, of your in the course of your deputation travels, and I wanted you you to take just a moment if you if you wouldn't care to to walk through that and how that affected your deputation process progress and uh, how the Lord has used it. Um, so, if you don't mind, walk us through that um, that tragedy yeah. that that uh, could have been could have been much worse, but. Um, uh, certainly was an, an unexpected challenge in the midst of your deputation uh, travels and your pre-field preparation. Okay, sure. Um, well, we were traveling west on the uh, the interstate uh, 90, 80, uh, 80, 90, I think it was, um, from Washington trying to go all the way to Ohio in a, in a few days. And, and we were in Nebraska um, pulling a camper with a truck. It was a rainy day, very windy out on the Great Plains. Um, my tires were probably more bald than I realized and was trying to pass a semi truck and <clears throat> basically just lost control of the vehicle. It started to fishtail until, you know, I was trying to correct by steering until the, the camper was level with the truck 90 degrees like perpendicular perpendicular to the highway and i remember that happening immediately after just started rolling i don't know how many times we rolled but 
my wife's side of the truck especially got smashed completely down you know just down the the, the above part of the truck was smashed down it was a ford excursion i think it was um anyway she uh suffered a broken neck uh two dissected carotid arteries wow. i wrote this down because i always get it wrong there's a lot of medical detail here um two dissected carotid arteries which a, a dissection is like a tear on the inside lining of the artery um so so three out of the four of her, the arteries in her neck were were damaged uh one dissected vertebral artery and that vertebral uh, got completely bl blocked uh, a week after the accident when she was in the hospital. She had a, a hemorrhage, a bleed on the brain. And uh, they were able to go in there and correct that and give her a shunt, which is like a, a thing that they put in her head. And it has a like a... a a plumbing tube that goes down and, and uh, drains the water off the brain. And she still has that to this day, but it's not functioning anymore. Um, that, that was to deal with the hemorrhage on the brain, but th that's when the, the artery got blocked, the vertebral. Uh, then the, uh, the vertebrae in her neck that were broken, those got fused together, uh, plate and screws they put on there. She still has those in her neck to this day and uh and the the two vertebrae were fused together so she's lost a little bit of the movement and flexibility in her neck but other than that she's very much normal and uh, so praise the lord for the healing that took place it's amazing what the human body can deal with and cope with and sure. come out of well designed um she wore a halo for six months it was about six months of recovery before things were starting to get back to normal and they finally took that halo off after six months and it was one month in the hospital in Nebraska. Then she, we got back to Ohio and she had more issues and uh, had to spend another week or so in the hospital in Ohio. Um, the arteries, they didn't do any surgery or anything. They just left them to heal on their own by, but had to give her like mild blood thinners and things to, uh, to keep the clotting from happening and the scarring on the inside of the arteries so of course the risk is a stroke with with blood pressure and arteries sure. and all that. So it was very amazing that she came out of it without any real problems uh, that that were long lasting. Um, so we just praise the Lord for that. That's kind of in a nutshell the the things that happened at that time. So I know that when this when this took place, um, obviously it's it's hugely um, traumatic for for your entire family. I mean, your your wife was very close to dying given the given yeah. the injuries that she sustained, and yeah. so I don't I don't want to be overly business like a, a, a in reflection, but but you she survived your family. She not only survived the accident, your family survived deputation, which is a remarkable yeah. remarkable thing. I'm, I'm wondering uh, upon reflection, I mean, was there a time, how far along were you in the process? What kind of response did you get from pastors when, uh, when you informed, you know, that uh, you talk about a, a scheduling disruption yeah. and a disruption to the, to the progress of deputation. How did, how did you feel that at the time? And 
was there a moment in the midst of all that where you second guessed the the call to Scotland? Yeah, there was uh, there was definitely that moment. I, in my own mind, I had I had quit altogether. Um, I felt like it wasn't my choice anymore. Uh, uh, and it, you know, one thing I left out was that. They, when she had the hemorrhage on the brain, they rushed her into emergency surgery. They thought she was dying. And this was a week afterward where she was, they thought she was kind of stable, but then all of a sudden this hemorrhage on the brain and, and I had to wake people up at six in the morning. It seemed like, uh, and just shouting and things in the hospital to get people's attention about what was happening. But she was, it seemed like we were losing her fast and they put her into surgery and he said as soon as he put the scalpel into the back of her head, it, he found where the hemorrhage was and it, it like uh, squirted out. That's what, that's what the surgeon said. And so it was kind of miraculous that she survived all that. Uh, even at that point when she was seemingly dying. Yeah. Very difficult time. And with all that had happened to answer the question, I, I did feel that I, I had, forfeited my right to really pursue any further. And up until that point, my wife hadn't, she hadn't gone on the survey trip. She'd never even seen Scotland before, but was kind of along for the ride, so to speak. And, uh, um, and that's how it was up until that point. And I, I thought I can't keep doing this or try to pursue any further. And I, I expected that we were done and I didn't even ask her, but then once she got out of the hospital and was on the road to recovery, um, she said, no, we, we need to go to Scotland. And it was now, it now, now had become her conviction to, Amen. to pursue wow. and to continue. And, you know, I had already quit in my mind, but that was, that was all her. And, um, thank God for that. Otherwise we would, we would have quit because I, I felt that I couldn't, with all that had happened and God being in control, it's no longer <laughs> just about me following a calling or pursuit for the Lord. So, well, praise the Lord. And here you are uh, 10 years on the mission field. So uh, I'm, I'm thankful that not only that the, that the Lord um, helped you through the whole thing, but that the Lord dealt with your, your wife's heart and gave her the conviction that this is something that you could, you could pursue. Uh, how'd you see the Lord use that experience in the long run? In the long run, it uh, it really just showed me the what it is to really wait on the Lord, um, to wait and see things through to the end. And somewhere in there, somebody gave me a lot of people said kind words, and I'm, I appreciate everything people said during that time. But uh, somebody said, "This will make you stronger in the end," and I remember that being in my mind. Uh, it kind of directed my focus to what's really important about it. And if God could make us stronger through something like this, then it's well worth it. Amen. Um, yeah. That, that's really what I remember from the time. So before we get to the, to the question of street preaching and public ministry, let me ask you a little bit more about the, the need for the gospel in Scotland. Um, I've come to appreciate all of Western Europe um, more and more as as a, a very very needy mission field, um, the United Kingdom included. And and uh, 
I think there are some there are some voices. There's a persuasion within uh, missions minded among missions minded um, churches, pastors, and so forth that that would tend to look at um, the United Kingdom, especially and the rest of Western Europe, as maybe uh, some would even say not a particularly legitimate mission field because of the longstanding influence of the gospel in that place and because of the extensive influence of the Protestant Reformation in that region. Um, but really, we're, we're many generations beyond that, and, and we're in another generation that where, where this is a place that is, <laughs> um, it desperately needs to be re-evangelized and you've got another generation that has no acquaintance virtually with the Protestant roots that we're aware of from history. So how do you regard the the spiritual climate of the UK having lived there for the, and ministered there for the last 10 years? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's very much different than the U S um, it's, it's difficult to uh, put a finger on that sometimes, but it's, um, it's much different than the U S we were just there for 10 months in the U S and, and I had been gone for, uh, basically nine years and, and just going back to America, I, I could see the difference even more. Every time I go back there, or am able to compare the two countries, um, the UK to, to compare it to the U S today, I would say, uh, you'd have to go back at least 50 years, maybe a whole century to have the same comparison when it comes to the moral fabric of the country or the religio- the, the religion or the, uh, the church going nature um, or the corruption involved with uh, evil agendas of the day and, and uh, those sorts of things. Um, Scotland was about where America is at least 50 years ago, I would say. And you look at the church attendance and the fact that everything's basically dying, church buildings being converted into other kinds of buildings and things. It's uh, the evolution being taught in the schools and um, people are, they're very much to the point where they don't know anything about God and the Bible. And they also don't care which is one of the more heartbreaking parts of it is they, they just don't care. We've heard a number of times you ask people uh, about heaven or hell or about their soul. And they say, I wish I cared. And we've heard wow. that response several times. Wow. That's really a marvel too. Of course, it's uh, instructive for us historically also because Scotland, I mean, this is the, uh, this is the home of John Knox. This is the, this is where uh, the King, the James of the King James Bible hailed from. That there's a, there is really is a very so where the Scottish Covenanters um, took a took a stand against the papacy and and a place of rich rich uh, Protestant heritage that's that's um, just almost yeah. well I probably atheistic uh, predominantly atheistic. Uh, so what is the, what, what is this, where, where are you, what's the city that you're laboring in, uh, predominantly there? We're, we're in Glasgow, Scotland. It's the biggest city. It's not the capital city. That's Edinburgh, but Glasgow's got 2 million people and we're right so what's, in the city center. What's the gospel presence like 
in Glasgow? Who who is preaching the gospel? How per, how how available, pervasive is gospel ministry in that city of two million? Well, the the people that preach the gospel, or at least kind of, sometimes, <laughs> are the charismatics. And there's a there's one church that is considered here to be like a mega church, and they got a little over a hundred people, I think. <laughs> And that's in wow. Glasgow. On the outside of the building, it says steak, shakes, burgers, and beer. So they're they're literally advertising alcohol to try to get people into the church building. It's it's really sad. And that's you know it's just very carnal. And there's an, one other church that's more of a traditional Calvinist type church that uh, that is also kind of it's contemporary and they do a lot to try to get people into the building and they're probably running over a hundred. But those are the only two churches I know of that are, that are of any kind of size and that's serving a city of 2 million people. So again, if you compare that to the United States, I mean, I knew of 20 King James uh, Baptist churches in the Toledo area and that's only (laughs) half a million people. (laughs) Right. right. Um, So in the, in the whole country, you don't have any, King James Bible believing churches that can even support a pastor. If you include the most of them are missionary churches to begin with, but um, there's only four or five that I know of in Scotland and uh, some more in the, in the whole of the UK, but in the whole of the UK, I don't even know of any that can support a pastor. And then you can, then you think, well, what makes a mission field a mission field? Uh, it, are they, is it a nation able to send out missionaries if the answer is no then they're probably in need of a missionary yeah that's kind of how i look at things just on a financial type of a uh outlook as carnal as that may be it's uh it it is very telling of a nation's need and if you can't support a, a pastor in one of these churches uh how are you going to send out missionaries and support missionaries and do things like, like they're done in America? Sure. So there's a, a very big difference and it make that's what makes it a needy place. So you, you mentioned encountering people that have actually told you that they wished that they cared, which is, which is a tragedy. What is yeah. the, in your, in your public ministry efforts, what is the prevailing religious and spiritual, um, um, flavor and background of the people that you're, that you're dealing with on a, on a regular basis. Yeah, they do. They call it uh postmodernism. It's in you know, 95% of the time, it seems like we're dealing with a postmodern uh, type of a mindset with people. It's evolutionary atheism, but yet they don't, they've been hearing it so long. They don't really know the arguments. You can, you can easily refute them with just a basic knowledge of evolution versus creationism and but then that doesn't really matter because that's not what they were brainwashed with their whole life so uh they call it they'll call themselves atheists but really what they're saying is they're agnostic they don't really know if there's anything out there it's not that they absolutely believe there is no god um but they call themselves atheists and you, you ask people if they you ask people questions and they, they just say, Oh, no, thanks. I'm atheist. As if that's like the normal thing. 
Wow. Where I think most Americans would be ashamed to say that here it's like the right answer if somebody asks you any kind of religious question um, in their in their way of thinking. And other than that, there's Islam, which is growing, but that's more in the South and England, more so than Scotland. But there is a, a pretty a pretty uh, strong presence of Islam. And on the streets, we set up a free Bible tent on Sundays, and the the uh, Muslims were doing that on Saturdays, free Qurans, and they just set up right next to us. This has just happened in the last couple of months. They uh, started going out there on a Sunday just so they could set up their free Quran stand right next to our free Bible stand. Wow. So there is some, uh, some, some, uh, confrontation and, or, or, uh, opposition religiously as well. But, but it's mostly, it's mostly the evolutionary atheists we're dealing with. Well, that, that helps us to, that understanding that backdrop helps us to appreciate what you might be up against in the, in conducting public ministry. Nevertheless, a great deal of your ministry has focused upon the bold public proclamation of the gospel on the streets there in Glasgow. So what's, walk us through, you mentioned the free Bible tent. What's been your approach to public ministry? I realize you're, you're preaching publicly, you're doing track distribution. So what's been the approach? Well, it's, uh, it's different here, like I said, it, but one of the differences is that the streets are full of people. Uh, just being in America, I, it made me, I had to go back there and be there a while just to remember, but you can't find a crowd of people anywhere. It seems like in America, everything's shopping malls and um, indoor type places, but here uh, they still have the old high street system, the old town setups where all the shops were along the market, you know, like the, along the main street, like a marketplace. And so, you know, a shopping mall here sometimes is just a, a roof over the high street and uh, they turn that into a shopping mall. But most of the time there's no roof and it's, it's free to just be there. There's no cars on these pedestrian streets on the high streets. And so there's people walking uh, cars aren't allowed to go there, so you don't have the noise. You have hundreds of people at any given moment, and every uh, town is set up this way. So some some towns are big enough to do street preaching in, and especially the cities. Where in Glasgow, we'll have hundreds of people walking by just all day, and uh, even on Sunday. So we do our street preaching with the um, with the church folk on Sunday. But the streets being full, you got these pedestrian zones. It's it's a perfect environment. Lots of people all the time. It's not like preaching at stoplights in America and stuff. Uh, so it, it allows you to do a little more. And uh, one of the things is you can develop the message a little more, make it something kind of to think about or for some something for somebody to listen to and try to understand. Sure. Uh, of course, most of the time people just walk on by they, they're not interested but every now and then you get somebody standing there and they'll listen for 15 20 minutes sometimes and um, other times you can get a crowd especially if there's a heckler and somebody starts debating you with you we generally ignore hecklers and just keep preaching in order to uh, keep the peace but but it, still the the hecklers will bring a 
somebody sees a debate happening or some kind of confrontation and it draws their interest and they'll start standing around and they'll listen. So it's, uh, it's more than just reciting memory verses. It's, it's, uh, you can put together gospel messages and, uh, give things to, uh, for people to really be challenged about. So you can develop the message more. It's, it's a wonderful opportunity. It, sure. In my mind, it, it's what offsets all of the, all of the atheism and the postmodernism and, and the, the uh, lack of church going, the, the antagonistic uh, attitude toward religion and all that is, uh, is kind of thrown off by this great open door of uh, what you have with on the, in the city centers where you, you just have hundreds of people to deal with. And so that's why we, we focus mainly on street preaching. You, you are allowed to knock on doors and stuff here, but um, when it comes to efficiency of, you know, they've got this much time and, and put out this much literature and that kind of thing. And you want to have conversations, nothing compares to the streets. So for that reason, we, we do spend most of our time uh, trying to, deal with people on the streets and we've been able to set up the free literature stand with different subjects and literature on that the king james issue we try to put out there and uh, along with all the gospel literature and gospel tracks free bibles is a big thing because people cannot buy a bible anywhere there that you can't go to walmart and buy a, a cheap bible wow uh, they, they'd have wow. to look up a a specialist Christian bookstore in order to find a Bible. So in I mean, Scotland, that is incredible. Yeah. One of the first guys I led to the Lord, he, he said he was in a corner shop and he was looking for a Bible. And then he walked out and he heard me preaching on the street and he came up <laughs> and asked for a Bible. And I was giving away free Bibles. So I oh, then, wow. then with every Bible you give away, you can ask people questions like, do you know what it says in the Bible about eternity or about heaven and hell? And, so just one thing leads to another. A lot of people come to the, the table to get a Bible. They just have never mm-hmm. seen one before, and they wouldn't know the difference between the versions, but we give out the King James Version, and um, that's another issue that even though King James himself was from Scotland and all that history, they they don't even know there is an issue, and it's never been an issue there. And It's like the church has been asleep for so long. Sure. So... Are any of those other evangelical, so-called evangelical groups involved in this kind of outreach? Is it just you guys, pretty much? Pretty much, pretty much just us. There's a few, um, I would call them full gospel, like charismatic Pentecostal type guys that do a little bit of street preaching, um, but they they don't they they don't develop the free literature part of it so much. We've been setting up a tent for I think six years now without a permit. Nobody's ever asked us a question about it. Amen. <laughs> so the, the tent adds a lot. It, it kind of gives you a base. It's a better visual and um, you can stand under the tent and have tables with literature there and it keeps it dry and people can stand there and talk. So that's been a big help. So all that happens while the preaching is going on. And, uh, yeah, it just, it's, it's been the, the one kind of open door 
that's a key to reaching the people in our in our belief. So, uh, Brother Vogelpohl, I hear from time to time about about um, sort of the uh, politically oppressive kind of atmosphere. There's a there's an antagonism to the gospel that reaches up into the into the legislative realm and law yeah. enforcement. And, and I hear about some of these things. Have you ever encountered anything in the ways of uh, threats to the, your liberty to conduct such evangelism publicly? Have you ever uh, encountered anything that, that would amount to uh, persecution in terms of uh, the response to the public proclamation of the gospel? I haven't. And, and um, a lot of it is understanding how the, laws and the police work here it's it's slightly different than america um uh for example they, the the police have, the police will respond to a complaint they have to respond to a complaint and uh they just want to take down your name and contact details in case there's any further problems they they have your name to go back to so that's happened to me a dozen times somebody complained the police were called they came and took down my name and I, I give them my name. I, I generally trying to be cooperative with the police and I ask them if there's any different way I could do things. And, but you do have freedom of speech there and, and they're willing to uphold that in general. Um, but the problem is that the laws they keep making, they keep changing these laws. And now the laws, these hate speech laws, they're, they're so bad that it's just anything that is said to offend someone's religion, their gender preference, or their uh, race or ethnicity or creed or any of that stuff, anything that offends somebody or makes them feel a certain way, is it gives them legal grounds to prosecute. So, <laughs> so that's literally how the, the law is worded, where it just has to make them feel a certain way or they feel singled out. So it, really anybody can say anything at any time. Uh, and and get you put away for whatever reason. It, it could be a complete lie. And they also changed uh, the, the how many they don't they they no longer need a witness to make these claims. So all <laughs> wow. that happened in the last few years. And of course, the the gender issue, the gender gender identity issue, is a, a huge thing. So. Uh, we're just there to preach the gospel and we try to stay focused on the gospel and the guys that uh, there's several guys of uh, national guys that are helping with that too. So we're, we teach them to, you know, we're God told us to preach the gospel. He didn't tell us to preach about uh, all the abominations of the Bible or anything like that. So uh, we stick with what God told us to preach and anything else is on the individual, <laughs> but uh, everybody's been pretty cooperative to to stay to the subject, and but still there's that possibility that somebody could make an a accusation. So one of the ways that people, there have been street preachers I've heard of that are of like a different circle of guys, like full gospel. One, one guy I know of that had been preaching here for 25 years, uh, never got arrested until a couple of years ago when they made these changes to some laws and he got arrested three times in one month <laughs> wow. just out of accusations. But that was with his street preaching was kind of this debate style where it's taking questions and answers. 
Uh, so we don't do that either. We just preach the gospel and not, not dealing with individuals, but rather to the general public, preaching to the general public, not to the, the, the one that's contending with us. Cause what happens is that that individual will, uh, get burned in an argument, so to speak, and then get his feelings hurt, make a complaint and somebody gets arrested. The preacher will get arrested just based on that. But as long as you don't offend anyone, anyone individually, then you haven't broken the law. So that's, that's just how things work here. And I'm not saying we'll always get away with it, but we have so far and never been arrested. Um, if the Lord told me to offend somebody or <laughs> say a certain thing, I still would, but he hasn't, uh, he, I know he told me to preach the gospel. And so as long as I've stuck with the gospel, there hasn't been any problems so far. Well, praise the Lord. I, I hope that there, I hope there's no problem going forward. I mean, based on your, your sense of the spirit of, uh, of the country and the, um, as we've already identified the general sort of antagonism to the gospel, do you anticipate that it's going to be an issue eventually? Uh, if things keep going the way they are, it's going to be more and more of an issue. Yeah. But, um, uh, one good thing on the other side of that is in, in Glasgow, we, we have a good relationship with the police and right. there's been several times we have watched the police talk to a, a person that had a problem with us. They were arguing with us or complaining to us and the police pull up in the van, they talk to the guy and then he walks away. <laughs> so they send them, they send them off. They know Amen. who the troublemakers are in town and they know it's not us. Right. So, <clears throat> so we have yeah, that that's a good testimony. Us. Yeah. Yep. Amen. So what kind of, um, you know, brother, nobody, wherever you're doing public ministry, nobody expects, uh, and certainly not in a place like Scotland, nobody expects necessarily for revival to break out for, for multitudes to sit and listen for, for hours. Uh, you know, right. the, 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 yeah. the expectations are, are nevertheless measured. But the word of God is it. It does the seed of the word of God does bear fruit uh, in the case that it finds some good soil in the hearts of men. So, what sort of I mean, doing this over over nearly a decade now, what sort of spiritual fruit have you seen from the from the public uh, proclamation of the gospel in the in the high streets of of Glasgow? Yeah, um, we have seen fruit. I mean, there's there are still seekers out there, individual people that are, they're seeking some sort of truth. Maybe it's not eternal life, but they're, they're interested in some, to some degree. And, and so we really try to focus on those. We're preaching the gospel to the general public, of course, and everybody, but you don't know who, who's receiving the seed and who is not. Um, but some people, if they show any signs of interest, maybe they stand a you know, 50 yards away. Uh, we try to go and engage them in conversation. We try to get a gospel track to them. Um, some people that come to the table for a free Bible or something, that's already a sign that there's maybe some interest that they have. And so we, we try to focus on the ones that do have some interest. And that seems to be where we've, uh, we, we really have seen some fruit and, you know, we see people get saved just about every month. Um, it's not every time or every day, but sure. every month there's 
at least one person probably on average, I'd say, that'll uh, accept Jesus as their Savior as a result of the street preaching and all the stuff that we're trying to do out there. Uh, so there, there is some some fruit in the way of salvation. And again, follow-up, of course, is, is always a problem. But uh, it, there's people in our church right now that have seen us out on the street, um, came to church, got saved in the process. And, and, uh, there's one couple from France that the, the husband was already saved, saw us on the street, brought his wife to church and they've been coming for years now. And she ended up getting saved. So the the Lord uses it and it it does work. It's very slow. Scotland. And that's, uh, it's, uh, it's rare when you see someone get saved out on the street, get discipled, get baptized, and all those things, and then end up being a, a faithful church member. So, of course, that that's rare, but uh, we, we have seen some of that, and uh, the Lord uses it. Amen. Uh, but but it's, it's been focusing on the, the multitudes of people. We um, used to hear... A preacher say, if you want to catch fish, go where the fish are. So that's been kind of a, a key thing that I've had in my heart and mind over the years. Um, I already knew coming into it that it was going to be slow, that it was going to be difficult, like everybody said, and, and Scotland's backward and postmodern and missionary graveyard and all those things. So uh, it's, it's really getting it to the multitude. And out of that, there's, there's a few things That'll happen. And I guess the, the, that kind of bold public witness has at times also attracted some, some believers, some people that were, that were already saved and, and were, were moved by the Lord to, to uh, be a witness and wanted to join themselves with somebody else that was already doing it. So I guess you've attracted some young men over the years as well that wanted to be a part of uh, a public witness. Definitely. And uh, that, that is more of a draw, believe it or not, than than any uh, anything else. Is the um, the the public preaching of the gospel? They, especially with young men, they they uh, they might not even be in church. Maybe they got born again, uh, they got saved at some point in their life. But there's this this mindset here that you know church is kind of optional. It's not something that normal people do. So there's a, there's a lot of people we run into, they, they know the gospel, they've been saved, they understand biblical things and theological things, and they, they have all this knowledge, but yet they, they never go to church. They don't have a church, and they don't feel like they need to because it's something that people only do Christmas and Easter <laughs> yeah. in this country. That, that's just the mindset. But uh, it has stirred up young people and young men especially, um, and some of them have over the years I've seen uh, young men get involved and uh, they want to develop their gift, so to speak, and give it a try and street preach. Some of them stick with it. Some of them don't, but that's been probably a, a, a bigger draw than anything else. You know, whether it's King James Bible uh, teaching or Bible teaching in general, or uh, you know, the, you know, the things that you think people might be interested in that are unique about our church, like 
old time hymns or, uh, you know, whatever it might be that people think might be different about us where people would get involved or want to get involved. It's really been the public ministry for right. us. And that in Scotland, at least that's what it seems to be what people are interested in about us. So given the fact that you've got some of your members that have been attracted, um, that were already saved, have been attracted there to, to your local assembly uh, by way of the public ministry, and then other members of your church actually got saved through uh, exposure to public ministry, I guess you probably have, and doing Sunday meetings followed by Sunday public ministry, probably have a pretty pretty good uh, participation from your church people with public ministries that have you found that to be yeah. the, the case? Yes. That's a, that's a, that's been a key thing as well as uh, we, we do our um, public ministry on Sunday as well as the services on Sunday. So uh, most of the people that are in the meetings, they're also out on the street with us with the preaching. And we're, we're only two blocks away at this point, we're right in the middle of trying to, change our meeting place to another office building um, uh, within the same, within a block of where we're at now. But, but these are less than a block of walking distance from the, the main, uh, the main street, the main high street, Buchanan street in Glasgow. Uh, so, so it's very convenient and uh, natural to just, uh, serve the Lord together as a church. And that makes us kind of put aside differences. It helps the unity of the church. You know, we're yes. comrades in battle kind of a feeling. And, and the main thing is getting the gospel to the loss. That kind of overshadows all the little things that Christians fuss about. <laughs> so it's really helped a lot. And I guess the, it was a, it was a blessing as of a few years ago, the Lord provided you some co-labors. I'm sure that's been an encouragement. And so, yeah. uh, that God's put together a team, uh, of yep. sorts there, um, your family and the Campbells now. So, yeah. um, the Lord having done that, what's the, what's the vision going forward? You've still encouraged in the work and, uh, pressing on maintaining these, this public presence in the streets of, of Scotland. Where do you see the, the work going from here? Yes, sir. It's, uh, it's really been encouragement to have some help. And, um, I, my plan has always been to continue on as a missionary evangelist, missionary slash evangelist, like, like in the book of Acts, I try to follow the Bible more so than any, uh, traditional thing or, or teaching. But, um, in the Bible, I see Paul and his companions and co-laborers, as like missionary evangelists, they were going from place to place. And I think he never spent more than three years in one place. I've already been in one place longer than that, but I, that's because of the slowness of the, of the work, but I don't want to ever settle down as a pastor or content myself with sitting on a pastorate. So I, I think of the mission, the missionary effort as being something different than planting a church to pastor in America, so to speak. Uh, uh, so working with other missionaries like ourselves, it's, it's kind of an essential thing. And you see it in the book of Acts with, where they, the missionaries were working together and they get a work established, move on uh, before it was fully established even sometimes. And 
and then they'd go back to it and help as needed. So I, that's kind of the vision in the future. And I've got in mind places like Edinburgh where the same thing could be done. It's not quite as big as Glasgow, but there's a few other cities in, in Scotland where they badly need a church. And um, we, uh, we could theoretically start doing the same thing, or we could, at the moment we're, alternating the the uh pastoral duties of uh preaching and teaching we're just alternating because we're missionaries and we don't want uh the people to get content with coming to hear the pastor preach whoever he is and it's bad enough that you know they're relying on american help to get a church going um we wouldn't want i i in my mind i'm just giving my uh, way of thinking, I guess, but uh, I don't. I don't want people to associate their church with going to hear this person. So, so with Brother Campbell, I've, we've been alternating the preaching and teaching, and it's ne- never about just one person doing things. And we also incorporate the guys from the church. Some of them are very capable men of teaching the Bible and preaching, so they uh, they get to alternate in with the preaching and teaching as well and participate so that the idea is that the pulpit is open to the right man in the time, in the right time. Sure. Um, we, a we Scottish man, a, a Scottish yes, man that will take that national, mantle. national yeah. man, a national church, uh, something that can survive without the help of America. Right. And if, if we can do that, then that's something accomplished. And if, if it always relies on American help, those are the ones that don't survive uh, whenever, whenever the the cash cow <laughs> of America dries up, it, it would just uh, the church would dry up with it. So we don't we don't want that. <laughs> right, right. Well, brother Vogelpohl, I'm I'm really thankful that you're that you're there in that needy field, and uh, I'm fascinated. I mean, I I, I think I think almost there's there's a sensibility uh, among uh, some <laughs> uh, modern believers, maybe even Bible believers, that uh, that public work that public ministry is not effective. That uh, that that's for a bygone era, and and the reality is that our uh, there are our marching orders haven't changed. We, we still are yeah. supposed to preach the gospel to every creature and yeah. uh, wherever we can find a place to do that is, uh, seems like a, a, a good place to do it. So uh, yeah. I'm thankful that you're there and I'm thankful that the gospel is going forth on the streets of Glasgow and beyond. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time today to, to sit down and, and talk about public ministry and, and your background and your efforts there in Scotland. Yeah. Just one last thing. I, would like to add if I can. Um, it the feel is that it it has come full circle to where you know you, you, all the tr- the efforts and the gimmicks and whatever it might be of trying to get people to come to church uh, has long past failed here. All all those things that churches try to do and Christians try to do with, with a you know with good intentions they. We, we try to get the gospel to people and we try to get them to come to church and all that. But, but all that's come full circle to the point where we're now back to the, the days of the apostles kind of a thing here where it's come full circle to the, in the sense that now we're preaching again to pagans who, uh, 
yeah. who have their own religion and they might not even call it religion. They might not look at it as any kind of a faith, but it's, it's still religious and uh, they're, you know, just completely on opposite ends. So, so when you go out there street preaching, it's very much like what the Lord originally commissioned um, and you, you don't have anything to work with. You don't have a pre-existing um, group of people that have this Christian mindset already. Uh, and so the, the Lord's method was street preaching. Yeah. And that, that's about all we're left with because nothing else works. <laughs> and that's why I was calling it gimmicks and trying to get people to come to a meeting and not people don't respond to any of that here. It's, it's the farthest thing from what they're uh, likely to do. And so it's, it's almost like it's the last ditch effort or the last res- resort. Uh, <laughs> the only option that's left is just preach the gospel and they can complain about it all they like, but <laughs> it's not about reaching everybody. It's about reaching a few and the seed is still sown. Well, that's not that that method and that um, that last resort, as as you say, it might not be too sensational, but it is mighty biblical uh, ground to be standing on, and uh, what a what a good place to be standing when the when the Lord comes and the gospel still works. Um, Amen. The, the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the the Apostle Paul, the um, at no time in history did you have everybody respond. Um, but the idea is to sow the seed and, uh, the Lord of the harvest brings forth, uh, the harvest in time. He, he brings forth fruit. And so, uh, amen. That's a, that's a great place to, to wind up the, wind up the conversation. The idea is just to get back to doing what the Bible commanded us to do for the last 2000 years. Amen. Tell it like it is. (laughs) Tell it like it is. Amen. Appreciate you, brother Vogelpohl. Thanks for your time. All right, you too. Thank you very much. Brother Vogelpohl's parting observation there is really salient. A great deal of modern evangelistic ministry is indeed gimmicky. In many places around the world, the gimmicks have simply exhausted themselves. But the simple, unadulterated public proclamation of the gospel of Christ is something that, after 2,000 years of practice, is still fresh and effective. Thanks for tuning in today. You can subscribe to this program on a variety of different podcasting apps. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in or rate and review the program wherever you may be listening. I'm always interested in having your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.